Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast. This is my favorite day of the week because I get to see all you pretty faces, every one of y'all. And y'all get to see mine. <laughs> yeah, you're lucky. No, I'm joking. Hey, we are so pumped. Seriously, we are so pumped to have you guys here today. Uh, man, we're excited for what God's going to do. He's already doing things in this morning service from first service and then in the worship experience. So we hopefully that you are enjoying yourself today. Our pastors, uh, Justin and Casey, they are uh, still on break from spring break. They will be here next week, so you don't want to miss. Hey, you saw a little teaser on April the 7th. You do not want to miss that day. We've got some exciting things happening at FC, and we're going to be sharing some things that I, I promise you, if you're a part of this body, you do not want to miss. So please plan on being there. But again, Pastor then will be there here next week to bring the word, and it's it's going to be amazing. So we're glad you are here today. So while Pastor Nim's out, we've got a great, great friend of ours um, that he's spoken here before, and we're just so excited to have him back. So would you welcome my friend, your friend, my man, Aaron Frizzell, as he brings the word. Thanks, buddy. Hey, good morning, everybody. I don't know what's happening on April 7th, but based on that really weird commercial, I would want to be here. Hey, I come to you from a city not too far from here, Frisco, Texas. I'm on staff at a church called Hope Fellowship as a campus pastor there, and uh, so honored to be here. I love your pastors. I love your staff, and uh, I love what God's doing at Foundations Church. I, I got to serve uh, on staff at a church not too far from here for about six and a half years, and uh, I love what God's doing here, though, and it's great to be back in Tulsa. Hey, I'm going to do my best. Um, if you are new to church, new to faith, new to all things Jesus, I'm going to do my best to make this as simple as I can um, and make sure that it makes sense to you. If you've been in church for a very long time, hopefully this is something that's going to apply to your life. I, I know this sounds very anticlimactic to set up uh, a talk like this, but I would just say this is not one of those talks that it's just going to wow you and impress you and make you shout or anything like that. But I think it's important. It's something I found is important at the campus I get to lead and what God's doing uh, at our church there in Frisco, Texas. And, um, and I think it's going to be important to you guys. I really do. And it is the idea of growing in community. Um, I, I want to make sure and explain this from the get-go. If you are new to faith or new to church, when we say community, sometimes we can kind of throw that up. And I don't know if you guys call them community groups or home groups or life groups or some sort of groups that everybody calls them. Uh, do you have a group of people in your life that you can call on in a difficult moment? Or do you have a group of people in your life that you go and help in a difficult moment? Or do you have a group of people in your life that will celebrate and get excited when you get excited about something? Um, I have found that community, uh, when it's done the way that Jesus models, is probably the most powerful part of the local church. Now, you may theologically disagree with me and say, you know, salvation and um, miracles and things like that are. I'm not discounting those. I'm simply saying I believe that what people crave is not only experience, but it's relationship. 
I still believe in my lifetime, I've been hired and fired from two different places for this statement right here that I just believe to my core. Relationships are not the most important thing in life. They are the only thing, period. It's the only thing you can take with you to heaven. It's the only thing you can take with you to hell. And it's really the only thing that we crave in this world is to have someone that cares deeply about our lives. So in this idea of growing a community, I want you to think of this phrase, beautiful inconvenience. I want to tell you a little bit about my story. And for those of you who kind of need a trail of where we're going here, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to share some scripture. I'm going to give three points. I'm going to talk about the opposite end of that and share another scripture. I'm going to show you a picture to wrap this all up, tie a bow on it, and then we'll pray. Okay. So if anybody's out there that needs to know where we're going, that's exactly where we're going. Um, I grew up as a pastor's kid my entire life. So honored that I got the opportunity to do that. But what I did not realize until about three years ago when I changed and went on staff at Hope Fellowship, where I'm on staff at, is community to me, it was always built in. Uh, my, well, I was born in South Dallas. When I was seven years old, we moved to uh, Duncan, Oklahoma. We were there for about four years. Wherever we went um, and ate at a Mexican food restaurant or whoever's house we hung out at, that was my community. Obviously, as a kid, you don't necessarily have the choice, but Whoever your youth group was, that was my community. My school friends, that was my community. But what I found is because I was in the church world and it was about building relationships, I hadn't really been in a situation where because I was a pastor's kid, people kind of wanted to be involved in our lives. Does that make sense? I don't mean that arrogantly. I'm just saying like, they literally were like, oh, cool. It's like my kids now. Oh, you're, you're Pastor Aaron's kids. Great. What's your name? And blah, blah, blah. And some kids love that. Some kids hate that. But it was built in for me. It was just something that was natural. Three years ago, I moved to Frisco, Texas and um, love where God has us. But it's the first time in my life I knew two people a guy named Carlos Ortiz, who was our staff development pastor, who 18 months, two years later, he's in Seattle, Washington. He's no longer on staff there. A guy named Josh Wright, who 10 years earlier, I had been in a mentoring program called Cadre in Atlanta, Georgia. I sat behind him on a couch. I got to know him through this interaction in this mentoring program. I knew him and I knew nobody else. I had a badge, I had a staff position, and I had love for people. And the idea of beautiful inconvenience made a lot more sense because people are busy, they have things going on, they appreciate, yes, that as a staff person you're friendly and whatever, but I didn't really have a ton of friendships, not people that I could call like the people I would call on, right? And maybe you're in this place and you're here and I just want to give an FYI to anybody who's been here for any length of time. Uh, people did not come into this building to be impressed with worship, to be impressed with how cool the building looks, to be impressed with the message. They came here because they're hoping that when they leave, if they didn't already, they're hoping somebody cares about them. Now, I want to play with your theology for just a second and tell you, I know, yes, introducing people to Jesus, and we're going to give you a chance to do that at the end, that is absolutely paramount. But if people that love Jesus can't love people that don't understand Jesus, then why would the people that don't understand Jesus want a relationship with the Jesus that you know? Does that make sense? I know that's a lot of words in there, okay? But I think it's true. And I want to read you a scripture, and I want to, I want to kind of um, 
think through this a little bit because this idea of beautiful inconvenience, I would say if there's somebody in here who has been married for 30 or 40 years, actually, let's just, let's be honest. If you've been married for five years, you would not look at, at, sit them down and say, what has made you have a great relationship? It wouldn't be great sex. It wouldn't be that you just have great communication skills. It wouldn't be that you just look the absolute part of a beauty queen or a supermodel guy 24-7. In fact, you'd probably say, you know what? About three days into it, um, she leaned over and breathed her dragon morning breath on me. And I thought, dear God, what in the world is going on right now? You know, one kid into this, and I know as the woman, I was pregnant and I kind of had to put weight on, but my husband put the exact same amount of weight on. (laughs) I don't really know what's up with that. But here's the difference. Great marriages that last a lifetime are not really built on the highlight moment, highlight moment, highlight moment, highlight moment, highlight moment. They're built on inconvenience, you're worth it. Inconvenience, you're worth it. Inconvenience, you're worth it. Inconvenience, you're worth it. Over a lifetime. And I think that's the same way with community. I really believe that what Jesus modeled for us while he was here on earth is our limited understanding of everything about life. And he was like, man, you guys, just to throw a shout out to Pastor Michael, who did a message last week, you're all idiots, but there's hope. I think that he probably, Jesus thought that occasionally. Man, you guys are idiots, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And I want you to think about this for a little bit. The Navy SEALs say a statement, and I love this mentality, and they say this, two is one, and one is none. And I find it interesting because Scripture shows us that as well. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it says, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Again, I think that when we stop and really look through our life, it's not usually our positions, our titles, the amount of money, the house that we lived in, the neighborhood we lived in, I think those things bring temporary kind of like, oh, this is really cool. I drive a nicer car than I used to. Like presently I drive a pretty beat up 1998 Honda CRV. So I'm not really driving down the road and be like, dude, I'm a baller. That's what I'm talking about. Sup, y'all? 1998 in the house. That's literally the year I graduated high school. So it's just, it's just kind of sad, you know. But you know what? Yeah, they bring temporary. Uh, I, I live in a city this this second fastest growing city in America. There's a ton of money. They don't even make normal size houses where I live. It's like, there's a city code that says you can't build under like 3,500 square feet. It's insane. It's awesome. There's a lot of businesses that move there. A lot of money, a lot of money. I I joked with someone the other day because we had walked by like a brand new Ferrari and I said, you know, you live in Frisco when you kind of snub your nose at like a nice not brand new, but nice Corvette because you just passed by a Ferrari. Like it's that kind of like weird, like where the heck do I live, you know? But here's the thing I found. It really doesn't matter where you live. The, the most significant part of your life is the people that you're doing community life, do, doing life with. And I would say this, the blessing of growth. I mean, you've added a third service now, right? Like Foundations Church is growing. 
The challenge to that is if you already have community, you forget that the people that are, are coming in that are new to everything that's normal to you, everything feels inconvenient to them. Everything feels foreign to them. And here's the other side. It's hyper inconvenient for you to go, hey, I'm going to not talk to the friends that I'm with all the time. I'm going to open up this and create a gap for new people to come in. And I'm going to inconvenience myself to go over and talk to somebody. It, I'm a highly, highly extroverted person. I will go find strangers. In fact, I'll be honest, I don't even like seeing the same people over and over. I got to go find new people to talk to them and find new experience. That's kind of the way I work. Me and my friend Tyler right back over there. But here's the thing. I understand though, especially in this season of my life, that I have to be willing to work through inconveniences, not to be friendly, but to build community. I want to read you a passage, and I think it'll help this kind of make sense today. And I want to leave you with a challenge at the end of today. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. Pretty cool friends right there. When they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Crazy. When Jesus saw their faith, their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law like they always do, started criticizing, thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had, been he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Last part. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. It's very natural for us to read this passage and go, the remarkable things that they had seen was what? Jesus had forgiven someone of sins. Jesus had healed someone. The guy stood up, took his mat, peaced out. Awesome. If we had someone that came up here right now, we prayed over someone, they, you know, they were healed, whatever the, the ailment was, they went home, man, it would be super cool. I want to challenge you to say that I think the most remarkable thing that took place started at the house of these dudes who said, we're going to pick you up and we're going to find a way to get you to Jesus. I think the miracle started the moment they picked up the map for the very first time. This is my challenge to you and to myself all the time. Sometimes we want, oh man, I want the signs, the wonders, the miracles. I want the goosebumps. I want the, all that stuff. I, listen, I have spent over the, probably the last three years, I've spent more time with highly unchurched people that literally saying like, hey, you know, start with reading your Bible and the book of John. They're like, wow, that's amazing. I should do that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've been in the church world way too long because that's not that amazing but I'm glad it's amazing to you. And I'll tell you what it's refreshed in me is this sense of knowing the things that used to impress me for a very long period of time really are not the things that I even call miracles anymore. 
The miracles that I have found are significant to me is when I hear that a small group that meets on a Wednesday morning that found out that a young lady who was walking through a divorce stopped their Bible study, raised money in the circle right there, didn't even tell us about it, pulled out their wallets, gave her money and said, we're gonna help you pay for bills. We're here for you. Gave them all their phone numbers. That to me is actually more miraculous and more outstanding than if I was to say, man, we had, you know, 1,800 billion people that came, you know, at a service and 42,000 people raised their hand and got saved. And, and, and forgive me if that sounds like I'm trying to, to say that those things are not great. Please, please don't think that, okay? But I found that the community of people that are willing to go inconveniently out of their way, that does not happen by just practicing good personality. There's something in the spirit of those people that say, you are valuable enough that I will inconvenience my life to serve you. I really believe that. So let's take this idea. I'm gonna tell you what we use at Hope Fellowship and I think it'll translate here. We, you, we use the term building healthy Christian community and I'll kind of explain that and break that apart in just a second. But I wanna give you some steps to building healthy uh, Christian community. I believe that um, one of the things I learned just a few weeks ago, we had the opportunity, what we call our, our lead team is kind of the guys or the decision, guys and girls are decision makers, whatever. We all went to New York City because we're partnering with an organization called New York City Relief Bus. They've been there for, gosh, years. I think like 1989, I think is when they started. Here's the interesting part. If you were to ask them, what's your goal? They serve the homeless. They serve 78,000 homeless people in New York City on a week-in, week-out basis, day in, day out, day in, day out, they have a routine, they go, they fill the truck, they get the food, they put it together, take it out, serve them. They would not tell you our, our goal is to eradicate homelessness. It's not their goal. They would not tell you our goal is to be one more organization. There's one million organizations, nonprofit organizations just in New York City alone that target those exact same needs. Homelessness, clothing, food, shelter. One million organizations. New York City Relief Bus will tell you this. We are here to be a hot cup of coffee on a cold, on a hot, on a cold day, a beverage on a cold day or hot day, whatever it happens to be, hot soup, bread. We're here to build a relationship and let people know they matter. They realize that in, in reality, a lot of these people, a lot of them deal with mental illnesses, a lot of them deal with things that, that they can't fix. Their goal is to build a relationship. Can I tell you something? I really believe that if you look at the entire Bible, especially in, in the New Testament, where it, where, where it walks us through the life of Jesus, I really believe that that was Jesus's goal. I don't believe that he came here to say, I am here to prove to you how I destroy every sin and fix every behavior that doesn't line up to what the Christian should be. I think Jesus is here to say, I need you to know that the God of the universe that you can't see sent me so that, you can, so that I can be seen, so that I can prove to you that God really does love you and care about you. Not because of your performance, not because of what you can do, not because of what you can give. Listen, even I'm tithing earlier, and I'm telling you, tithe, do the principle, absolutely. But if you ever think that tithing gets you bonus points with God, you miss the point of tithing. Tithing is a, is, is a tie into, because of Jesus valuing me, I can't wait to give everything. It has nothing to do with just my routine. I hope you guys know that. And I know that they believe that. But I believe that Jesus came here to build healthy Christian community with people who were unhealthy, non-Christian, and didn't care about community. I really believe that. So three steps I wanna give you that I think helps you build healthy 
Christian community. Oh, I never finished my New York City story. We were walking down Broadway. Sorry, I got distracted. Squirrel. Standing on Broadway. Beautiful. I mean, there's all kinds of cool stuff in the Nike store and all. Ah, it's awesome. I look, homeless people here. People obviously have literally what's on their back. Guy walks in front of me, smells amazing. Know that sounds weird. Some sort of expensive cologne on, I'm sure. Smelled awesome. Deck to the nines. I'm talking probably thousands of dollars of clothes on this person. They're walking this way, high-rise flats, $7,000 a month to live right there. This person, hoping that they can find a shelter in the night. Can I tell you something that makes them the same kind of different as you and I? Both of them went to wherever they went that night hoping this one thing. And I hope that someone really values me for who I am. One person probably made hundreds of thousands of dollars for this reason. Man, I hope that someone values me for who I am. Not what I can do, not what I can produce, not what I can give you as my gifts. I hope that someone values me for who I am as a person. The person that's over here, homeless, has nothing, trying to entertain whatever instrument, just trying to do something, not because of any other reason than they just need food and they need money and they need to figure out how they get their neck fixed or whatever it happens to be. Everything boils down to a relationship. Maybe you're in this room and you struggle with addiction. Here's my challenge to you. That addiction is not substance, it's a relationship. And that relationship gives you validity of something that a person has not yet or Jesus has not yet. And that relationship will be the relationship that will take you down unless you build a new relationship. It's not just an addiction. It's about who you are as a person. Three things I want to share with you about healthy Christian community. Number one, admit that you need people. We have a uh, ministry we call Reengage. Uh, it's a marriage ministry. You may have heard about it, maybe have it. It's designed to take broken people, help them get better in their marriage. It's designed to take people that are a little less broken, designed to help them get even better designed to take people who seem to not have anything going on and help them continue to grow. My wife and I go through this, and here's what I love about it. I take my badge off. We wear little badges. That's why I keep doing that. We wear little badges on the weekends that show what our title is or whatever. I always make sure it's off, and I tell that circle, this is the reason I'm here. It's because I need you because I'm a broken person just like you. I carry a title on the weekends. I love people because God's asked me to love people, and I do love people. But I'm here because I need you. I need you to help me get better. I need to learn to communicate. Let me just challenge you that if you ever get to a place where you don't feel like you need help, that's a very dangerous place to be because community will begin to isolate itself away from you because you become the answer person, not the person that needs help. I believe that admitting that we need help, if you go to any place that helps you, AA, any of these programs, counseling program, anything, the moment you admit that you need help is the moment that community is brought into it. L listen to this. You lead people with your strengths. Those are hardwired in you. You lead people with your strengths, but you connect with people through your weaknesses. Have you ever had a moment where someone vulnerably said something in the group and you're sitting there, maybe it's late at night or whatever it happens to be, and you're just sitting around and someone goes, man, I'm really struggling with X, Y, and Z. Man, it's like it opens the door for people to go, oh my gosh, me too. Okay, well, what are you, what are you struggling with? Okay, well, let me talk to you about that. Now, hear, hear me for just a second. This is the world I live in. I get it, the fact that there's some times where you do that and people take advantage of it. They take advantage of it and they go, oh, well, I'm gonna call you all the time. And now it's 24-7. Now you're trying to figure out how to put block on. Set healthy boundaries. I'm not saying healthy Christian community is you're all involved in everybody's stuff. And I'm, I'm saying, do you have someone who is healthy 
in your life that you can call on. Number two, I would say is this, let people carry you and be willing to carry others. Both of these require one thing, that we lower our pride. Pride says, I'm too good to carry you. Pride says, I'm too good to be carried. Same goes with giving too. Pride says, I'm too good to give. Pride also says, I'm too good to receive. See, the thing is in our own lives is the more we admit our brokenness and our weakness, the Bible says that it's in our weaknesses there our strength is found because it's not our own. And in community, just like a great marriage, in community, the strengths and the weaknesses of the people you allow yourself to be in community with creates a strength in that group that people really need and they really crave. I really believe that. Maybe you're in a place in your life that you are strong and you're in a place where you say, God, I'm, I'm praying that you would bring someone in my life or maybe just help me identify it or maybe just open your eyes and realize that the world around you always needs carrying and you're just gonna begin to carry somebody. What does that look like? Maybe that's just finding a neighbor that just needs something every once in a while. You just check up on them. It could be as simple as this, sending a text to somebody who you know is going through something difficult and just saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I have a friend of mine who's going through a really rough time right now. All I do is, just every once in a while, send them a text and just say, hey, I'm just praying for you, just thinking about you. That's a carrying thing. I'm not really literally doing everything for that young man, but I'm just there for him. Maybe it's making yourself available even on a weekend. Maybe it's serving at a door and being that smile every single weekend. Maybe it's serving in students. Maybe it's serving in kids ministry. Maybe it's serving in young adults just to simply be there. The biggest thing I'm trying to teach my kids right now is 90% of everything in life is just showing up. Just showing up and being there. The rest can be taught. Number three, make sure that Jesus is part of that community. I want to tell you this because the uh, reason we say healthy Christian community, um, I live in an area that, let's just say there's... Um, there's weekend habits that are normal to everybody that I live around that was not normal in Oklahoma, okay? So let me just say this. I know that there was a lot of, and forgive me if this sounds offensive. I'm not trying to do this, but it was, I kind of had to laugh because I saw a bunch of posts, people like, oh my gosh, we have alcohol on our shelves in our grocery stores in Oklahoma. And everybody's like freaking out about that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of, why is that weird? You know, I'm like, you know, but let me just say this though. I think that, um, sometimes we get to try to predetermine what we think is Christian and what we get to say is healthy. I live in a place where there's so many gyms and places to go get healthy physically that you have to physically ignore them. Like you have to turn away and be like, I'm not going to work out today. I mean, you'll pass by so many of them. And even if you pass by all of them, it's like they're in the parking lot going, dude, come on, come do some, you know, some workout and push-ups with us. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm good. I got to go pray or something. Listen, I'm holding on to my dad bod, all right? I'm not giving this one away. But there's healthy community. That's true. You have gym partners. But wow, I want to ask you something, though. Do those same people point you to the center of God's purpose for your life? See, healthy, Christ-centered, Christian community. Is it something that's not just healthy? Sometimes people are just focused on just Christian. But man... 
There's a spiritual gluttony that takes place, and it's like consume, 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 consume. I mean, let's be honest. If you've been in the church for a little bit, how many Bible studies can you actually be in before you go, I think I'm going to do something with this information. I've went to 37 of them. I think that I'm going to at least be a greeter, you know? Like, I mean, let's just start with low end. Like, hey, no, okay, forgive me. All greeters, you're amazing, okay? I didn't mean like you're entry level, but I'm saying, you know, something that doesn't require anything more than this. Hello, you know? But I think there's some people that just focus on that, the Christian part, and it's not healthy. So in other words, you have a group of people, they don't push you to grow, they push you to just do churchy stuff. So you, you get totally out of touch with the world and you're like, oh my gosh, you haven't listened to that Bible study? No, I have other things going on in my life other than sitting and watching Right Now Media for 42 hours, you know, or going to RU Chapel or whatever it is that you do. And those things are great. Please, please hear me. Those things are great. But if it's healthy, it's helping you grow. If it's Christian, it's centered on Jesus and it's community because there's a back and forth of giving and taking, carrying each other and you being carried as well. I really believe that. Luke 6.23 says this, so this is important for us to know. And this challenge um, is highly inconvenient, I think is true. I apologize, I got something in my eyeball. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. Very convicting for me. Because as a campus pastor, I can get caught up in my little world, my little world, my little world, my little world. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, I'm only serving the people that really I know are going to benefit this program or this ministry or this volunteer team. Or when's the last time I, lo- I Aaron, Aaron loves somebody that has no return other than appreciation of being loved. It's funny, my neighbor, uh, his name is Randy. He's a brilliant guy. He's an artist and he's, he's this crazy long hair. And um, all I do is like take his trash cans out. That's all. Like when he's out of town. He's out of town a lot. He travels all over the world. I just take his trash cans out. That's it. And put them back. He's come to me so many times like, Aaron, you are the greatest neighbor I've ever had in my entire life. And every time he says that, I'm like, wow, life is a lot more simple than what I thought it was. All I do, I'm just going to find people and take their trash cans out for them. And I'm going to be that guy. Like, dude, that campus pastor in there, that's the trash guy. Yeah, I mean, he really loves people, you know. But maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's as simple as you just saying to the person you work with, hey, let me help you clean your office. Vacuum your office. Clean your car. Take your kids every once in a while. Pick them up from school. That may be a little weird. You have to figure out that with safety issues. But you know what I'm saying. Let me give you three things that I think happen if you have no community, if you have no community in your life. Maybe you feel this way this morning. John 10, 10 says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them rich and satisfying life. I love that. Rich and satisfying life. Number one, I think what happens outside of healthy Christian community is isolation. Isolation is a very dangerous thing because you begin to believe things that are very off-center. You ever sat with your own thoughts for a little while and thought, yeah, I've thought about this long enough. I think this is good. And then you tell a friend and they're like, how long have you been by yourself? Because you really are believing some strange things. Can I tell you something though? 
I think in the local church world, we can do that to the world. But instead of just inviting them in and saying, hey, let's counterbalance that against some other things. Let's counterbalance that against some truth. We just kind of dismiss them and go, hey, it's weird. You're just weird. But you got to remember, we're weird to them too, right? We believe in a Jesus that we can't see. We pray a prayer that we say changes our soul. We're going to a place that's built for us that we can't even touch, right? I mean, stop and think about what we're promising people. Maybe their weird is not that weird until we discover Jesus and put Jesus in the middle of it and begin to ask questions about what could Jesus do with this? Not what Foundations Church could do with this. What could Jesus do with that? What would Jesus say about that? How would Jesus interpret that? How could I live that out just a little bit different? In isolation, I I believe there's a stealing part of the dreams that God has called and created inside of you. Second, I think what happens outside of healthy Christian community is self-reliance. I think this is the kill part. It kills your confidence to trust other people because maybe you've been burned. Maybe you've had some things and some people in your life that you fully trusted them and man, they rejected you. Let me just please, please hear me for just a second. If you're in a church uh, on a consistent basis, every church's website should say, come to this church and get hurt. Every church in America. Why? Because there's humans that run it. The pastor's going to say something, you don't like it. Someone changes the ministry, you don't like it. April 7th, they announce something, you don't like it, right? I mean, there's always something that, that is going to hurt you because people are involved in it. Community is not about not finding people who won't hurt you. It's about being available for people because life hurts. I do not believe that faith in Jesus Christ alters your reality. I believe it gives you hope because of reality. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's what I really believe. It doesn't shift it and say, oh man, I'm living in a new reality. The new reality is the fact that you have something to hold on to when all hell breaks loose. That's really what it is. Self-reliance. And third is self-destruction. Very sadly, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we had found out in one of the most prestigious schools in area, it's Prosper High School, right up the road from us, there was two suicides. One of the moms goes to our Bible study just to escape just to be away. It's in, we, we live in Frisco. Another one at a high school in uh, Frisco. The first question I always ask myself is, um, how long did they allow themselves to be ignored to believe in isolation and self-reliance that self-destruction was the best option? Now, hear me for just a second. I have a background in counseling. I'm not talking mental health issues. Even in mental health issues, there is a there is an element of community that has to take place within that person's life. But here's what I'm trying to tell you is, suicide is not just something that's physical. I believe that there is a suicide of dreams and plans that God has planted in your life that if you step away from healthy Christian community, the enemy has a play day with your life. And that's why I think this is important for us to know in the church. Does that make sense? I wanna show you a picture and we're gonna wrap this up. This picture, um, I love, I want to read the description to you. A sculpture of two adults after a disagreement sitting with their backs to each other. Yet, it, it, yet the inner child in both of them simply wants to connect. Age has many beautiful gifts, but the one we could live without is the pride and resentment we hold on to when we have conflicts with others. The forgiving, free spirit of children is our true nature. Remember this. 
when you feel stubborn. I immediately think of childlike faith. What if childlike faith is more about playground rules than it is trusting in the unseen? Let me explain. I have a daughter who's three years old. Her name is Ivy Grace. We took her to a playground the other day and met a girl that's a little bit older than her whose name was Lila Grace. Within three minutes, wherever Lila Grace went, Ivy Grace followed. A few minutes later, wherever Ivy Grace went, even though she was younger, Lila Grace wanted to follow. I believe inside of us, every one of us have a deep desire to feel like we're connecting with someone who potentially could be significant in our life. And that never goes away. Doesn't even matter if you're married. You need a man, you need a woman in your life who you can simply be yourself in front of. No performance, no perfectionism. They appreciate you just for who you are. I think that's the whole reason why Jesus came to this world, our playground, and walked with us and talked with us and chased us around on the swings of life and played with us, us on the monkey bars of theology and just said, hey, what if the whole reason I'm here is not to prove to you how I deal with sin, but just to prove to you how much I love you? What if it wasn't trying to change every one of your behaviors right now? But what if it's just that you feel loved enough that eventually you tell yourself you're valuable enough to change the behavior, not because of what somebody else told you you have to change? I believe this picture that we see is inside of all of us, and this is why community is so healthy. So I would challenge us today as we close this part of the talk out with three things. Number one, are you someone who needs to be carried today? Number two, are you someone who needs to be carrying someone? Or number three, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the story where Jesus was standing in the room. And maybe you're the one who is the pharisaical spirit that you stand there and go, shouldn't be done like this. I don't like the way this is done. I don't like the way you look. I don't like your behaviors on the weekend. I don't like the way you treat me. I don't like the way that Jesus tries to create change in all of us. Maybe you're only a critic because what hurts inside of you in the inner child doesn't feel good enough to connect with somebody. So you have to stand back and criticize it. Can I offer you the opportunity to know that this morning there is grace for that spirit as much as there is the grace to be carried or be a carrier? And it starts with one man and his name is Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says something very simple. If you listen to these stories and you hear about me, if you begin to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it says at that moment, I transform your life and I let you be known as a child, a daughter, a son of God. It's pretty significant. Because community starts not from what you get, but because of what's in you, it's what you give. That's really what community is about. I want to pray over you this morning. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to ask you a few questions. First of all, maybe you're in this room and you have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. In my world, I call that crossing the line of faith. You stood on the line as a skeptic on the other side. And when you crossed that, you just simply said, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to believe it. And may not, may not understand all of it, but this man named Jesus, I want a relationship with him. If you're in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to know I'm going to pray a prayer in just a second. 
And as I pray that prayer, I want you to pray it where you are at. Prayer partners, you can go ahead and get in place if you're in this room as well. Next, I want to pray over you, and you don't have to identify yourself, but I believe that there are people in this room that you need to be carried, you need to be a carrier of people. And then the other one is you need to silence the religious critic inside of yourself and just say, man, maybe I need to be someone who's willing to lower people through a roof. Doesn't work all the time. It's not the way that I thought it should be. I had a different way I thought it should be, but man, I I want to be one of those people. I I just want to stay on the outside criticizing. Let me pray over you right now. Jesus, thank you that your word tells us that Paul, who was a murderer of Christians, and yet on the road to Damascus had his life changed, and he penned the words, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, she'll be saved. He had to believe that in a way that today we got to believe that too. So we confess it to you today. Jesus, we are sinners. We are not in need of a life coach or a mentor or just a best friend. In this moment, we are in need of a savior. And because of what you did on the cross and because of the fact that you were buried in the grave and came back three days later, it is proof that you really are the son of God. So we just say to you today, forgive us of our sins change our lives, make us brand new. I pray over my friends in this room who maybe need to be carried and there's a a spirit of pride. Maybe they thought that it was just a spirit of insecurity, but God, maybe it's a spirit of pride to say, "I, I don't know that I really need to be carried. God, soften their heart today and let someone carry them. God, maybe my friends in this room who need to carry someone else and they've been walking around and searching and asking, God, maybe I pray that you would just put someone in their path even today. Maybe it's a word of encouragement, text message, Facebook message, whatever it happens to be, or face-to-face contact with somebody just to say, hey, I'm here for you. And God, just like I have been at times and I pray that I would not be anymore in the future, maybe some of the people in this room um, have been the critics standing in the crowd going, I don't know that it should be done like this. Forgive us of that spirit, God. But I pray that the brokenness that we criticize with would be healed because the child of God inside of us desires really to connect with your heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or in need of prayer or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv.